You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Oh, it's such a joy to, uh, to be with you guys. I, I got to tell you that I've been excited for this message, uh, that there are times that God will just have me camped out in a book of the Bible, and I've been camped out in the book uh, of John in chapter 21 for like two months. And I've tried to read other parts of the Bible during this two-month period, and I'll start reading, and it'll be like Charlie Brown's teacher is speaking to me off the page. I can't understand or hold on to anything, and then I turn back to John 21, and it just comes alive. But I uh, I want to start off by honoring our pastors, honoring Pastors Jurgen and Leanne and Pastor John and Becky. You know, I want to thank you uh, so much for not just being incredible leaders, but being incredible friends. That there's a, um, there's a beautiful scripture in, in, uh, in the book of John that Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And uh, I just, you know, you've been such good friends to me and to Jenny. You've been incredible mentors. You've been incredible voices of wisdom, but you've just been also really amazing and fun and warm, you know, and, uh, and the Bible says that there is no greater love than uh, for one to lay down his life for his friends and seeing how you and Pastor John and uh, Pastors Jurgen and Leanne have laid down their life for their church so that we would be lifted up, that we would be made better. I just could not be more grateful for having leaders like you. Oh, so uh, we're going to go into the book of John 21, surprise, surprise, but before we get there, I want to give you a little, a little history of where we're going, and I imagine that there are many of you that have been in church for a long time, but there's probably some of you that are fairly new to church that may not know the history of Jesus and his disciples, and you know, Jesus had 12 disciples that are named, he had 500 or so more followers, thousands more followers that followed him around, but 500 that were pretty close. But out of this group of 12 disciples, there are three men that are considered Jesus's key three or his like best friends. And their names are Peter, James, and John. And out of those three, there is more scripture about Peter. So you could say, that Peter's like his best friend, but he's also the one that needed the most correction in the Bible. And it's, it's easy to see how many times Peter screws up in the Bible because it's pretty frequent. But you also got to keep in mind that he is the only human being ever to walk the planet that walked on water aside from Jesus, who was God in the flesh. And... Jesus was able to see his destiny from the beginning of their friendship, that Peter's name was originally Simon, which means reed, that can wave in the water and blow in the wind. But Jesus said, no, Simon, you are Peter, you are a rock, and upon you I'm going to build my church. 
Jesus knew his destiny from the very beginning, but Peter constantly got things wrong. And in Matthew, in like, I think Matthew 26, Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be taken, and all of you disciples are going to fall away. And Peter says, I will never fall away. Even if you're arrested, even if you're killed, I'm going with you even to death. Even if all these other 11 fall away, I'm going to go with you because I love you more than these. And Jesus replies, bro, bro, I'm not condemning you. I'm just informing you that by the end of the night, you're going to deny me three times. Then that night, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to Peter and the other 11 disciples, hey, guys, I'm having a really difficult time. I'm like sweating blood. In my humanity, this is really tough for me. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm wrestling with this in my flesh. Will you guys, you're my closest friends. Will you stay up with me and pray lest you fall into temptation? And the three of them fall asleep three times. And then Jesus comes and gets arrested, and they scatter, and later around a fireplace, there are people that are asking Peter, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And he's like, no, I don't know that guy. Jesus even walks by and sees him, and he's like, yeah, I don't know that guy at all. I, I've never met him. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the rooster crows, and Peter's confronted with his own failure. Peter thought that he could be perfect. He talked a big game. But in the end, he folded on his own strength. And then Jesus comes to them resurrected. And he appears to the disciples twice, once without Thomas. And I think it's funny. They, they, they say that, like, Thomas the doubter, doubting Thomas, all of this stuff, all of the disciples like stuck their fingers in his wounds to see if he was real, but just Thomas wasn't there the first time. And then they told him Thomas about it, and Thomas is like, well, if I don't get to stick my fingers in his wounds, then I'm not going to believe. And then hence, doubting Thomas. But Thomas also founded the church in India, and if you go to India, everything is St. Thomas. Thomas was seriously dedicated and amazing, but one line that's taken out of context and all of a sudden for centuries, <laughs> doubting Thomas. So anyway, Jesus appears to them and then appears again with Thomas present. Thomas does his thing and then Jesus says to them, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, wait here in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference from just receiving and being filled with power. And the, from when Jesus was resurrected until the day of Pentecost, there's like 50 days. It's not that long of a period of time. But during that 50 days, there's not a record of Peter having a conversation with Jesus when he appeared to him resurrected, but Jesus had fulfilled everything that he said he was going to do. He said he was going to die. He said he was going to rise again. He did all of that. They saw him. They felt him in the flesh, but Peter's still jacked up from what happened before, and he's like, I know he told us to wait, but I'm going to go fishing. 
And then James and John are the first ones to say, hey, wait, we're going with you. And then four more disciples go with them, and they don't go to the stream that's like near Jerusalem. They go back to Capernaum that's like 200 kilometers away. And this is where our story opens. So come with me in your Bibles to John 21. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they said, no. And he said, cast your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were, able to draw, they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, a little side note. John is known as like the beloved of Jesus or the, Jesus, the one that Jesus loved. Do you know who gave him that nickname? He did. It is not recorded in any other gospel, only in the gospel of John. And then you read through the gospel of John and over and over again, he doesn't refer to himself as John. He only refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Now, you might think that it's a little bit weird, but historians also believe that John could have been 13 years old when he started following Jesus, that he was still a kid. And Jesus talks about the faith of children. And you think that John had this revelation about who he was, what his identity was, that Jesus really loved him, and he got that. And none of the rest of the disciples saw it. So he was the first one to realize it was Jesus, by the way, and said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Other versions say that he girded himself in his outer garment. An outer garment always has to do with identity. When you gird yourself, it is always referring to doing something in your own strength. So in his own strength, he put on his former identity, for he had removed it, and then he plunged into the sea. And it's a weird scene. I mean, the guy took off his coat because he was fishing. And I'm assuming that it was probably like hard work fishing and maybe it was a little hot. So he took off his jacket so it wouldn't get all sweaty. But now he's jumping into the sea to go swimming. But he's so attached to his former identity and he's so sure that he's disqualified himself from following Jesus that when he goes to meet Jesus on the shore, in his own strength, he puts on his former identity so he can kind of stand before Jesus of like, hey, it's okay. I know who I am. This is who I am. So the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, they were dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the fish, uh, the net of fish to land full of large fish, 153. By the way, the, the 
Uh, Yod-Heh-Wah-Heh, the name of God, is mentioned 153 times in the book of Genesis, 153 in the Hebrew Gematria, uh, lines up to the phrase, I am God, my son is God, and sons of God. There's a lot of deep symbolism in this, and I don't have enough time to go into it, but just 153, you can take that and go with it. But although there were so many, the net was not broken, and Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said, to Simon Peter. Now, I want you to catch this. Throughout this gospel, John is referring to Peter as Peter. Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? The word that he uses for love is agape. It's the love of God. He says, hey, I'm going to agree with your pronouns. I'm going to agree with this identity that you've put on. I'm not going to question it. I've been calling you Peter for ages, but you've gone back to being Simon, son of Jonah. And just like the original Jonah was a fisherman that was far off from where he was supposed to be. Jonah, by the way, also in the Hebrew means dove, which is prophetic, but we'll get to that eventually. But Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me with the love of God? And Peter says, yes, Lord, but what he's really saying is no, Lord. He says, you know that I love you, but the word that Peter uses for love is phileo. It means friend love or brotherly love. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me with the love of God? Do you love me completely? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, no, Lord, you know I only love you like a friend. It's all I'm capable of. I've shown that to you already. Why are you asking me this? And Jesus says, hey, it's okay. Go feed my lambs. And then again, he asks Peter, but he calls him Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape love me? Do you love me with, this, with the love of God? And Peter again says, no, you know I only phileo love you. And Jesus says, that's okay. Go shepherd my flock. And then finally, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He denied him three times. Jesus is asking him three times. But in this asking, he's actually restoring and Jesus said to him a third time, do you love me? But this time he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo love you. And Jesus says, good, feed my sheep, feed my mature believers. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your arms, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw John. They're having this private conversation, and John's like, And Peter turns around and sees 
the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper, and Peter says, Lord, who is the one, or actually, John says, Lord, who is this one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, you've told me what I'm going to do, but what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? I've shown you your destiny. Why are you comparing yourself to him? Stop comparing. I'm not going to tell you what I have for him. It's nothing to you, and I'm not going to tell you. Follow me. And it's this beautiful picture of restoration in here. And God's like, kept me stuck in this book. And I'm like, what are you trying to show me? And I feel like friendship is something that has been so lost in our culture. That we've reduced friendship to something so far beneath friendship. That we've reduced it to likes and comments. And their friendship is so much more than that. And even in the church, you can reduce friendship to just spending time around people. And especially if you've been infected by the world, you can value breadth over depth. Jesus had three close friends and he was God. And if, gosh, like if more than 100 people don't like, like my photo, I'm like worried about my identity. It's not good. So... Jesus says, feed my lambs, or feed my, feed my lambs, shepherd my flock, feed my sheep. And it's this progressive thing that even when Peter was off, even when Peter didn't get it, he's like, hey, you can still feed the little ones, the little ones that are like dependent, the ones that are dependent on milk, just feed them with what you've got. Even when you were Simon, I called out Peter. I'm working this out in you. There's still stuff that you can do. You're not rejected. You're accepted. But I need to give you this revelation that I've asked you to serve me in this time, but now, now I'm telling you that you are not just servants, that you are actually friends because I've shown you everything that my Father has shown to me. You guys are my friends, you don't need to be like playing church anymore. You don't just need to be doing. The greatest thing that you can do in the highest form of Christian maturity is to actually be a friend to Jesus. And we'll hear, we'll hear messages about be, Jesus being our Savior or Jesus being our Lord, but we rarely hear messages about Jesus being our friend. But in this, Peter is getting shown by Jesus that the greatest thing you can do and the way I'm going to mature you is in friendship. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my, my flocks. These, these verbs for freed are poimano, the word for pastor, for shepherd, for leader. What he's saying, it's, it's an incredible affirmation. It's like every time Jesus says, I want you to see the brokenness of what you are, the minute that Peter opens up even a little bit, Jesus drives down to the heart of his heart with this incredible affirmation. Jesus says, you failed me. Peter says, I know. And Jesus says, okay, now take charge. You're a leader. Take over. 
there are seven disciples here and Peter was the most broken. He's the one that's most out of touch with who he is. He's the one that most needed to keep up his image. His failure was the greatest. But Jesus says, of the seven of you, of the seven of you, you're the one that's going to lead because your failure is the greatest. You're the leader. Do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, plunge your failure into my grace and it'll make you greater. It'll make you greater than you were before. A greater failure plunged into my grace makes you a greater leader, a greater shepherd. And we don't understand this in today's culture, especially on social media, because we've reduced friendships to likes and comments. We've reduced nuanced conversations filled with warmth and nonverbal communication to 32 characters or less. And if you blow it, you could get canceled. And Jesus says, with me, it's totally different. In fact, it's the reverse. If you've been forgiven much, he says in Luke 7, you will love much. The more you see your brokenness and the more you plunge yourself into my grace, the more you'll understand other people, the more you'll understand how the human heart works, the more reliant you'll be on me, the less surprised you're going to be about how life goes, the more wise you're going to be. You're in charge. You know why? Because you're the greatest failure and you've seen it. And at the end, Jesus says to Peter, following me is going to be hard. It might hurt. And Peter looks at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, Peter, for the last time, will you stop comparing yourself to everybody else? I have a plan for him and you don't know it and you're never going to know it. I'm never going to tell you another person's story. I'm only going to tell you your own. You have no idea what's fair or not fair. You have no idea what the other person has gone through. You have no idea what it is to live their lives. Stop looking at them. Look at me. And follow me. And i got to tell you that, that Peter... And the rest of the disciples, they were told to stay because Jesus said, this life is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard and you need power. So wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high. But they were so broken and so discouraged that they went back to their former identity. They went back to fishing. Peter doubled down on it, put his jacket on, girded himself up, and then went and presented himself to Jesus. And you think if these were the people that were closest to Jesus, that they saw the miracles with their own eyes, they experienced him in the flesh for three years, seeing the world turn upside down, if they could get it wrong... Why are we beating ourselves up for some like little infraction? And I want to tell you that there's, there's sometimes limited, you know, we only get so much time on stage, but I've been seeing this, this thing that, you know, there's, there's people in my life, sometimes myself included, that can be wanting to walk in power and authority. But power and authority come from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can't land on unrighteousness. I can't expect to walk in power and authority if I still hate my brother. I can't still I can't walk in power and authority if I've still got active sin in my life. But I've got to tell you that the that 
my sin, I come to the cross daily because I need to come to the cross daily. And there is more forgiveness at the foot of the cross than I could possibly burn up with all of my failures over an infinite number of lifetimes. But I've got to be able to come to the cross to redeem my failures, to redeem my sin for his righteousness. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond right now in the middle of service before I get to the part about being a friend because I feel like there are some people that know Jesus as Savior and some that know him as Lord, but you're struggling to know him as a friend because it's been about performance for you. It's been about trying to work things out on your own to get acceptance. It's, a, it's been trying to like, I've just got to wear this Christian identity right so that he'll love me. And it's a lie and it will keep you in bondage. And when you're in bondage and you're in, you haven't exchanged your unrighteousness for his righteousness. The power of God can't land on you because there's nowhere for him to get a footing. So before we go on, I just want to ask, is there anybody like that here today? While everybody's eyes are open and heads are up, will you just raise your hand? And I will raise my hand in this as well, because I want to pray for you right now. We are purified by experiencing our mistakes and seeing our failings and then bringing them to the cross. And sometimes people get taken out by not seeing perfection yet and waiting when it's gonna, get, when it's gonna happen and they get discouraged. And I have definitely been there. But for everybody that raised their hand and for people that didn't physically raise their hand but raised their hand in their heart, I just wanna pray and you can repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good friend. That even before we were born, you knew us and you knit us together exactly in the way you wanted us to be. God, thank you that you love us and you see our destiny before we mature into it. God, we bring all our failure to the foot of the cross and we exchange it for your righteousness. We believe that you died so that we would be free. And in that freedom, we'd be able to take on your power that your spirit would be able to live in us and we would be able to do by your power the humanly impossible. God, let this day be a line in the sand that we would be able to look back and say today we gave ourselves fully to you. We thank you, God, that you're faithful to complete every good work that you start and you've started a good work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So my message is called, uh, my message is called asking for a friend. 
And I just feel like that's what Jesus is asking for today. He's not asking for you to be perfect. He's just asking for a friend. But I kind of like the double entendre in the name because there's a lot of people that are afraid to ask for themselves. So they're just asking for a friend. So Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times around a fire and then Peter restored. And when Peter denied Jesus, he just experienced this incredible trauma of losing his friend. And when there's trauma, there's a lot of bad things that can happen. But Jesus restores Peter around a fire while breaking bread and eating. And that's what friendship looks like. I heard Pastor John preach a lot about the book of Acts and that the church grew by the breaking of bread. It happens around a table. Friendship doesn't happen around a keyboard and around a screen. It happens around a table with a buffet full of food, full of nuanced conversation, full of real human interaction. That I realized that there's, you know, just like porn is an illegitimate substitute for real intimacy, social media is like friend porn. It fills a legitimate need in an ultimately unfulfilling way and teaches us to value numbers over depth. So I want to give you uh, a, a couple of points, and there, there was something that Pastor Becky brought up to me the other day, that there are relationships in the Bible that contemporary voices have tried to make the relationships different than they actually were. They've occurred, uh, it, like it suggested that Peter had some sort of relationship with this child, John, that Paul had some unsavory relationship with Timothy, that the friendship, the deep friendship that David had with Jonathan was somehow more than friendship. And I just got to say that when we ourselves lack the quality and depth of authentic friendship that we actually see between the men in the Bible, it's a lot easier to make up stories about the nature of their friendships than to confront the depth and the quality, the lack of depth and quality in our own friendships. So I know people talk about this, and I just wanted to put it out there. I don't believe any of that was happening, and I've done the research. But there's a depth and quality to the friendships in the Bible that's lacking in contemporary culture. And I know even in my own life, with lacking a proper relationship with a father and lacking good male role models of what like deep friendship looks like, I went into bisexual and homosexual relationships. I didn't get my relationships with women right. I did everything wrong because I lacked the model. And you look in the Bible and there are great models for friendship. So instead of thinking, wow, they're such good friends, there must be something more. Ask yourselves, what's missing in my friendships? So in the couple of minutes that we have left, I just want to talk to you, give you three quick points about friendships, that there are requirements for friendships. And the first requirement is that we first find friendship with Jesus. 
The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And if we're going to get close to others where they can see our sins and see our scars, we need to deeply be rooted in our friendship with Jesus because it's impossible to truly know that we're fully loved, accepted, and forgiven without that friendship. And when we trust that God accepts us apart from what we do, we're free to let others know who we truly are. You know, Jesus said that there are many that are going to come to him in the last days and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many signs and wonders in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. He doesn't say you never knew me. They were fully aware of who he was but they never let themselves be known by him. They were never his friends. And if you're going to operate in power and authority, you have to do it with the foundation of friendship because without that, it's empty. So the second requirement for friendship is initiation and intention. That friendship usually sparks while we're doing stuff together. The word community comes from common unity. It's finding unity in the things that we have in common that we're doing together. And you've probably heard it, heard, heard it preached from the podium that men build friendships shoulder to shoulder, that we need to be doing something together. But friendship doesn't start there, it sparks there. Friendship starts when the two people that are doing something together, that they're on purpose with each other, that they peel off from the rest of the group and actually get to know each other. And that takes initiation, and it also takes the willingness to risk being rejected. And I know sometimes it's hard when you've just met somebody new and you text them and they don't text you back for two or three days. You got to keep trying. You can't just give up on the first try. That the corest of our core values as a church is a value called known, loved, wanted, needed. Friendship and any relationship needs to happen in that order. Because in the world, and what we do when we have a religious mindset or a performance mindset, that we will try to find a place that we're needed, hoping if we're needed, that we'll be wanted, hoping if we're wanted, we'll be loved, and hoping if we're loved, then maybe somebody will want to get to know us. But love without knowing somebody is superficial. Being known without being loved is actually our greatest fear, but when we're fully known and truly loved, like Tim Keller says, it's something that protects us against anything the world could throw at us, and it's a lot like being loved by God. So when you go in and just say, look, I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm just going to let these people get to know me. I'm just going to join a connect group. I'm just going to sign up for Emerge, even though it's a big time commitment in, in my life. And I'm going to have to be away from my wife and my kids for a weekend. I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend time with my team. I'm going to do things in community. I'm not just going to turn up to church on Sunday, but I'm actually going to get people, let them get to know me. And then in getting known, realizing that you're loved, in being loved, realizing that people don't just say they love you, they actually want you. When you don't turn up to men's prayer, when you don't turn up to connect, when you don't turn up somewhere, you get calls like, where are you? I miss you. You're wanted. And when you have that foundation of being known and loved and wanted, then you can start to explore these giftings that God put in you. And maybe they're not natural giftings. Maybe you're an accountant and you don't feel like serving on the accounting team, but you feel called to kids. Or you're somebody that has a great voice, but man, I've always wanted to serve in parking ministry for some reason. There's a, 
you know, it's just a, it's a thing. And, but you won't be able to do that if you're just looking for a place that you'll be useful. Don't worry about being useful. Worry about being a friend. Okay. So just like Jesus chose us, we have to choose our friends. It is not something that just happens on its own. And finally, number three is sacrifice. To make room for friendships, we need to say no to some good but second best things. If we have families, especially if we have young kids, it may require sacrifice from our spouse, but it's important to work this out as a team and it's important to have friends. If you're a guy or if you're a girl and your spouse or your significant other is the only person that you work out your problems with, you are doing it wrong. That is not healthy in a relationship. There are things that you need to be able to work out with your friends. So when you approach your spouse, especially if there's something that you've never been through before and you're really working it out in real time, you need friends. So I'm just going to tell you a couple of things that Jenny and I have made some choices about making time for the things that are most important this year. That I'm not playing Jesus in hero this year. Seven years was a long time, but it's, it's time to pass the torch because saying no makes your yes stronger. And don't get me wrong, I have loved every minute of doing that play. I've loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. But I can't do everything. We're also not leading a connect group. At the end of last Connect semester, we had 45 people in our Connect group, thriving, wonderful Connect group, but we felt like it was time to pass it on to other leaders. We're not leading prayer team for this service. When it was the five o'clock, we led prayer team for ages, and we loved it, but we lead recovery ministry. I preach sometimes. There's other things that we're doing, and because Pastors Becky and Pastor John are our friends, they came to us and said, you guys, you know, opportunity's not going anywhere. We love you. It's okay to say no. And we're like, awesome. We're going to say no to some stuff because we want to say yes to our marriage. We want to say yes to building friendships. We want to say yes to sowing into our ministry. So I just want to pray for you guys really quick, and I'm going to open up the altar for ministry, but if you are carrying a weight or feel disconnected from friends or family, or maybe there's just a heaviness that you feel like you can't put down, I want to invite you up to get prayer. That we're, our ministry team is going to be up here, and if you're a guy, I really want to encourage you to get registered for Emerge tonight. That Emerge is an event that happens in the spring, but it's not just an event. It's a process of building friendships over time. And we have Emerge teams that are having barbecues and get-togethers where we're sitting around, breaking bread, getting to know each other. And if you're a guy that is working hard, just really crushing it in the marketplace, have a, a, like a thriving marriage and kids, but you don't make time for your friends, you're missing out. Friendship is very, very very important. And if you're feeling lonely and you're feeling disconnected and you're sitting next to your spouse, say, hey, can we work this out? It's not for a few months, but I want to start working it out now so I can go and not feel stressed about work, not feel stressed about getting back to take care of the kids. I want to do this now. If you're a guy, I encourage you, get signed up tonight. And if you're thinking, I don't know anybody, there will be captains at the Emerge table that are waiting to sign guys up and wanting to get to know you. 
just an encouragement. If you're not in a connect, get into a connect, get to know people. Church is a lot more than a service on Sunday and Wednesday. We're in a community together. We know each other. And it's in that knowing that we're changed. One final thought is I had a, um, I moved to La Jolla Shores when I was eight years old and I had uh, I had a lot of like hesitation because I didn't know anybody there and I knew it was a neighborhood where there were a lot of older people and I was worried that there weren't any kids. And the first day that I was at my house, there was a moving truck parked outside and there was a little kid named James Forbes that rode his bike over to my house. And he rode like six, seven blocks away from where he lived. And he said, hey, we were driving home from the supermarket. We saw a moving truck with kids stuff. I just wanted to introduce myself and, and welcome you to the neighborhood and invite you to come play with me. That little act of kindness just wiped out any, any fear that I had about not being accepted or not being able to fit in in this neighborhood. And because of that act of kindness, I knew his heart and I could never unknow his heart. And in high school, he drank a lot and was difficult as a personality. And I would have people come to me and gossip about him and say bad things about him, but I knew his heart so I could never unsee him that way. Knowing somebody, actually knowing them and allowing yourself to be known will cover a lot of things in your life. And if you're somebody that's been in church and has jumped around a lot because you've been looking for perfect preaching or perfect people or something like that, stop it. Allow yourself to be known, get to know other people, pull a chair up to the table, break some bread. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our church. God, I pray that you will bless this word and allow people to chew on it, let it grow them as friends. But God, I pray that most of all, they would get to know you intimately as a friend and by knowing you and accepting your love because you love them, they'll be able to love others in a totally new and radical way. God bless us as we go out from here and thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.